0: To the best player wins podcast where we believe that winning is winning no matter by how little or by how much we are your hosts i am nate Andries.
1: and i am eddie quinones and welcome everyone to the championship edition of this week's podcast
0: yeah episode 17 of the 2021 season episode 28 overall we have just this week's episode and next week's until mm-hmm. we sign off for the season uh pretty crazy that we're already here at the championship round Yes. But uh, good news for me. I'm back in it, Eddie.
1: Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'll actually, uh, one of the questions that you have down there, I kind of uh, talked about it a little bit because I, I figured that question that was down there, a little further down that we're going to talk about was inferring to your own success in the team. So it'll be a fun conversation.
0: Yeah, well, we will get to a couple of discussion points about the championship round here shortly, which Eddie is alluding to. But first, as always, we are going to jump into the prior week recap, the semifinals round. Uh, Let's start with the number one and number four seed matchup, Thundercats versus Randy Marsh. There was a final score of Scott putting up 235.74 points, which I think I didn't actually go back and look, but I think that's a season high uh, for the entire league. So yeah. I think Scott, the closest
1: was like 220.
0: Yes. And like I think that. that was actually scored by Kevin against Scott yeah. earlier in the regular yeah. season, which is kind of funny to Kevin's very disappointing 87.38 points, mm. which I would bet is a season low for Kevin. Uh, if not a season low period for yeah. the entire league. So a tale of two opposites for this matchup between Scott, the one seed and Kevin, the four seed uh, we're going to kind of do the same breakdown as last week. Cause I liked how that went. Eddie, Eddie, Give me the team strength that you felt propelled Scott to a win. I know his team obviously went off, but try to nail it down to just one area if you can.
1: Yeah, I was kind of looking at it, and there's one spot that particularly stands out to me. Um, and I think this one's pretty obvious, and I think it's his running backs. Uh, his running backs absolutely went off last week. Uh, Joe Mixon at 31 and a half, and then Jackson had 34.2. Uh, Justin Jackson, that being. Um, so his his running backs absolutely demolished last week and really propelled him forward. Uh, obviously, no disrespect to Kevin or anything, but his team didn't really need to do a whole lot of crazy stuff last week to actually be able to pull it off, but for his running backs to be able to do that it was very impressive.
0: His running backs by themselves, 65 points would have given yes. Kevin's entire team a run for, <laughs> a run for their money <laughs> yeah. last week with, with Kevin only yeah. putting up 87. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of cheating here on my own question. I said – everyone uh his weakest point was his quarterback duo who put up close to 40 points themselves and that's kyler murray and justin herbert who we have said repeatedly throughout this season is probably the biggest strength of scott's team if it's not his wide receiver room um so it's really everyone his team just obviously snapped putting up almost 240 points which i don't know if you go back since we introduced two quarterbacks, that might be like the highest. If not, it's, it's easily top it's three highest scores yeah. of all time. So yeah. Scott obviously had an amazing week. Let's look at Kevin's team and what kind of brought him down. I'll lead us off. Team weakness that crippled Kevin. Uh, funny enough for me, it was that running back one through flex two chunk of his roster that I was boasting mm-hmm. about on last week's episode that absolutely crushed Kev. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Keenan Allen, Tyree Kill, Hollywood Brown, Russell Gage, and Mike Kasicki, all of those guys combined for a measly 45.8 points. So yeah. the team strength for Kevin throughout the season absolutely crushed him during the semifinals round. What did you have, Eddie?
1: Yeah, it was uh it was a tough one. Just kind of looking at his entire lineup, they just obviously they didn't really do very well. Um and, and I had his flex spots uh, alone just did really bad for him. Uh Especially, there's two guys on his lineup, particularly, that really disappointed me kind of with the outcomes. And it was Gasicki. I was expecting him to have a little bit better of a game. And then obviously, Tyreek Hill with only 3.9 points. Uh, it also did not help that he had Chase Edmonds on his bench, uh, IR spot specifically, with 26.7 points. So,
0: yeah, Kevin and I were actually texting over the weekend about, um, not after Chase Edmonds snapped, but mm-hmm. I think after he got to about 10 points, I texted Kevin. I was like, hey, man, I I don't know if you saw, but Edmonds is active. Connor is out. Maybe you should have thought about sitting Saquon for him. And then, of course, yeah. Edmonds goes off for, I think, 26 points. Ultimately would not have made even close to a difference yeah, to in this impact, matchup. But... but it was probably disappointing early on for Kev to see. Yeah. Um, Tyree Kill, man, who would have thought? He was my X-Factor pick with Travis Kelsey out. And mm-hmm. the Chiefs putting up, I think they put 35 up on the Steelers, something close to that. Yeah. And Tyree Kill being basically the lone big time target for the Chiefs, healthy playing the game, scores under four points. I would have never guessed that. So,
1: yeah, that was extremely unfortunate for him. And it was yeah. just, yeah.
0: Disappointing Not week fun. for Kev, obviously, yeah. but he still has something to play for in the third and fourth place matchup against Nick. Uh, looking at Scott's team. Eddie, give me the player from Scott's roster that had a down week who you expect to bounce back from. I have a feeling we're going to say the same guy for this.
1: I mean, yeah, there were, there really wasn't a whole lot to, to pick on. Um, but I said Greg Zerline. He had eight points. Um, if you really look at his lineup and kind of see what Greg's been doing the past few weeks, he's been doing a little bit better than that. Obviously it was a little bit tough to, to really make a huge decision. Obviously Herbert with only 16 points is another option, but I'm pretty sure you're going to touch on that. So i'll let you kind of go to
0: that one yeah i was gonna say you did uh take me for surprise i did not pick greg the greg the leg i went with justin herbert who like you said managed 16.94 points uh i didn't know this until i was looking this week to prep the podcast justin herbert is very quietly the number four overall player Mm -hmm. in fantasy football i had no idea that uh that he was having that strong of a season. so And I was an
1: idiot for trading him away. Like, <laughs> So, yeah.
0: I think right now, in order, it's Cooper Cup number one by a long distance. Josh Allen, number two, who has a very slight edge on Jonathan Taylor, number three. But then QB two overall, number four overall player is Justin Herbert. So I would expect him to have a bounce back, put up more than about 17 points this coming week. Uh, Eddie, give me your player from Scott's team that popped that you kind of expect to fall back down to earth a little bit this coming week?
1: Yeah, I had a couple guys. Uh, I'm going to pick kind of the second guy here that I had on my list because I'm, I'm pretty sure you're probably going to touch on the other one. But I had, I'm on Ross St. Brown. Um, he has actually been doing really well the past few weeks. Um, and this has kind of been his, his area where he's been sitting at it around anywhere from 20 to 25 points he's really been kind of sitting at. Uh, But I really don't expect it to continue. I mean, he's had four great weeks uh, back to back to back to back. Um, But I do expect that to kind of go down a little bit. He did see an increased share in in, uh, targets over the past few weeks. I mean, he went from averaging maybe like six or seven to now averaging 12, uh, 11, about 11 and a half actually um, a game. But I do expect that to kind of go down a little bit. I don't expect him to kind of continue to put up these big numbers. Who did
0: you have? Yeah, that's a, that's a good thought. I, I wasn't actually looking at Amonra Ra St. Brown, so I'm glad you brought him up. I'm not sure he's going to fall back down to earth. Maybe he's just kind of catching fire late in the season, but he certainly is a good candidate since he's a rookie. kind of came out of nowhere late in the season. My pick was, I mean, it's kind of, again, cheating a little bit, but I was going to say Justin Jackson. But Scott <laughs> obviously is not starting him this week. So I'll be a little bit more general and say Scott's running back two, who obviously he brought Swift into the lineup this week yeah. in place of Justin Jackson. Uh, the bottom line for me is I don't expect over 34 points from a returning DeAndre Swift this week. So just yeah, kind of the definitely. running back two spot is who I picked. Yep. Let's, talk, let's talk about the other matchup, the number two, number three seed semifinals, Otis and the bell cows. That was my oh, team number two seed and uh auto rocket the number three seed my brother nick final score was and this one was a lot closer than scott and kevin's uh i put up 183.18 points to nick's 168.22 eddie kick us off tell me what you thought was the team strength that propelled my team to a win
1: i think this one's pretty i don't want to say pretty easy but it was one of those things that like if you didn't have a big game from this player you probably would have lost this matchup and i'm gonna go with waddle uh, he had 25.2 points. He had uh, 10 receptions, 92 yards receiving, and a touchdown. Um, he had a really good game. And I'm saying – the only reason I'm saying kind of this is the strength that propelled you, if you look on the other side of the matchup, the Dolphins defense had 25 points. If Jalen Waddle had an average – a below average game sitting at around like 10 points or so, it was a very close matchup and you would have lost this. So I think uh, alone Jalen Waddle himself – propelled you to kind of get this one obviously james robinson being out he only had 1.0 points you kind of needed that from waddle uh, going into that final stretch so that's who i got
0: yeah i feel like you could have gone a lot of different routes here mm-hmm. um we could have you could have even touched on nick chubb who we were yeah. both kind of nervous yeah. about being a bust in the semifinals. you could talk about my tight end stream of gerald everett who scored a mm-hmm. season high 16.8 um or even
1: Dak, for- he had a great game
0: yeah, for me, yeah. I ended up picking my quarterback duo yeah. who scored over fifty points for me. Uh, and you you just touched on Dax specifically. I loved seeing the thirty plus point performance oh from him because yeah. he's been up and down like he's he's top ten quarterback on the season, but he's kind of been up and down on mm-hmm. his way there. And so I love seeing him get a little bit hot specifically for the playoff run here, hoping that that continues this coming week. Um, so that was my team strength, uh, in my opinion, the quarterback duo, but definitely could have gone a num- number of different ways.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, team weakness that crippled Nick. I think we're probably both going to end up saying the same thing here. I'll lead us off and say it's yeah. definitely the COVID reserve list and injuries. Nick ended up losing Taysom Hill, Gabriel Davis, and Pat Fryermuth. Hill and Davis to the COVID list. Pat Fryermuth was out with a concussion. These guys aren't the studs of Nick's team. The guys that I said are really scary and could propel Nick to a win. I think Jake talked a couple weeks ago about Nick could outscore everybody in the entire playoff period because he has such star-studded guys like Josh Allen, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Deontay Johnson. Um, So he didn't lose any of those guys. But still, uh, you shouldn't underrate the complementary pieces to a lineup. These were guys that would have likely otherwise been playing in Nick's lineup. So it hurt Nick ultimately a 15 point difference was the gap between my team's score and his, yeah. that could have been the difference if you know, one or two or even all three of these guys were healthy and able to play for him. What did you have Eddie?
1: Yeah, I, that was obviously kind of like one of the big choices, but I really had Miles Sanders If Miles Sanders had a game like he's had the past couple of weeks and they fed him the way that they did the past couple of weeks before that. Uh, I think, that Nick would have kind of squeaked this one through and he would have gotten the win by a couple points. But Miles Sanders really only putting up 5.8 points. Uh the Eagles ran him seven measly times. He seven broke his times. hand
0: in the middle of the game and left. Yeah.
1: So oh, that was true. that was
0: super true. unfortunate true. for him. Yeah. I think it was the second quarter. He ended up exiting with yeah. injury. So I got lucky there because on my side, I we're probably I don't think we're gonna touch on this really at this point. Um, but James Robinson tore his Achilles on like the second play yeah. of the game. Yeah. and got that one episode. point for me out of my flex one spot. So I don't want to yeah. say I got lucky, like you don't root for injury, but I was fortunate that one of my big-time running backs got hurt at the very beginning of the game, and one, one of wins. Nick's running backs yeah. also happened to get hurt toward the beginning yeah. of the game.
1: And, I mean, regardless with the injury or not, I think it's still a point in his lineup that really hurt him coming into kind of that final day. Is just mm-hmm. Miles Sanders obviously not being able to perform and, and only putting up 5.8 points. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, taking a look back at my team player that had a down week who I would expect to bounce back from for me, it's easily Jonathan Taylor, who was only about a touchdown away, which I know that sounds funny to say like, yeah, if players scored a touchdown, their, their fantasy performance would be totally different. Jonathan Taylor is an MVP candidate. So I feel like it's kind of fair to say in his case, he was only a touchdown away that that kind of thing does come regularly for Jonathan Taylor, at least this season. Uh, he was only that touchdown away from a good game, given that he was already over 100 yards rushing. You could have also yeah. said a handful of catches. There's a number of different ways he could have gotten kind of up over that 15 point threshold where I would have said, yeah, that's a good game. I'm fine with that. But unfortunately, yeah. he was only getting work on the ground this past week. And uh, even 100 yards on the ground didn't didn't get, you know, yield a great fantasy performance. Mm-hmm. He only scored 10.8. So do expect yeah. more from him this coming week. How about you, Eddie?
1: Yeah, I agree. There really aren't a whole lot of guys on your on your lineup that really did bad without any type of injury happening. Obviously, CD Lamb was actually sitting right at about of his average um for the past few weeks. Uh, he scored like 14.6, 11 and then 10, so it's not anything like out of the ordinary for him to kind of dip a little bit lower. Uh but JT was easily the lowest. I mean, he's currently sitting at he scored 10 points. It's about 13 underneath his average. Um I mean, the dude has 17 touchdowns on the season, 1,600 rushing yards. So uh, a game like he had last week in real life, he had a great game. I mean, Mm. you give him 108 yards in a game. I think any running back is happy with that. Right. Um, But in terms of Fantasy value, like you said, it was just kind of a little bit of a disappointing week for him.
0: So, How about a player that popped on my team that you would expect to come back down to earth a little bit this coming week?
1: I, I, I was looking at this guy. and He's actually been doing really well over the past few weeks. I was kind of looking at some of his averages. Uh, he didn't play for the past couple weeks before this bye week, and then I think last week he was out uh, as well. Uh, but it's Jalen Waddle. Uh, but if you really look at his numbers ever since Week 11, he's been doing exceptionally well. He had 20, 28.7, 18, and then 25.2. Uh, I don't really expect him to catapult back down to earth. I really expect him to kind of maybe drop down and and sit around the, his average points next week, which is roughly around like 16 points. Uh, nothing really too dramatic, but he's kind of the guy that I was looking at there.
0: That's fair. For me, it, it's got to be Gerald Everett, who I kind of yeah. struck gold with streaming. Uh, first time, I well, actually, I don't know if he's been played in a lineup this year. I would suspect that if he has, it hasn't been too many times uh, that, he was, that he's been streamed around our Fantasy League. But I definitely hit the jackpot uh, getting his season-high points, 16.8. Um, and this game could have just as easily been a zero. Um, he has been doing well lately. He's put up double-digit points in four of his last five games and five of his last seven. So he has been doing well lately, but just three weeks before this, he put up 0.7 points. And if he put 0.7 up this past week, I believe that would have knocked me out of the, out of the playoffs. I think that would have been the difference in Nick and I's matchup. So Mm kind of caught lightning in a bottle with this stream. I'm going to start him again this week. I'm hoping for the best. It seems like him and Russell Wilson have a pretty good connection since Russ has been back. Hmm. hoping that that continues but i i'm not expecting 17 points from him again yeah. this week yeah kind of hoping for that double digit mark kind of yeah, anything spot.
1: around anything around honestly anywhere from like 9 to like 11 or 12 with a stream tight end i think is a good spot to be in because it yeah. gives you just enough production to where it can make a difference so
0: yeah for sure that brings us to our official championship round matchup. So in the championship, we have the number one seed, Scott, the Thundercats, who has a 22-7 record. And opposite of him is, is my team, the number two seed, Otis and the Bell Cows. I have an 18-11 and record. And then our consolation finals, playing in the third and fourth place matchup, you have the three seed, Nick, Otto Rocket, who might be, I guess, renaming his team to the COVID list. He has an 18 and 12 record total, including regular season and playoffs. He is playing Kevin Randy Marsh, the four seed, who has a 17 and 13 record total. Fun fact, Eddie. In last year's playoffs, our championship round featured the number three and number four seeds, while the consolation finals featured our number one and number two seeds. This year, that's flipped with our top two seeds making a championship appearance and the number three and four seeds rounding out the other matchup in the third and fourth place game. And again, you guys kind of heard the results of last year's, but just as a little refresher in last year's final round matchups an upset was pulled off in both, uh, both of the two matchups with the number two seed, Nick upsetting the number one seed, Scott to take home the bronze and the number four seed Damon upsetting the number three seed me to take home the gold. So We will once again see if the upset trend carries over from last year to this year. It did not uh, for this year's semifinals. So there was double upsets in last year's semifinals, no upsets in this year's semifinals, double upsets in last year's final uh, two matchups, consolation finals and championship. Obviously the book is still out or the jury is still out to, to determine whether there's going to be some upsets for these final matchups. Yeah. Let's look ahead finally to these week 17 matchups and we're going to go a little bit of a different route this week, Eddie, kind of talking more qualitative rather than quantitative Mm -hmm. and what we think is going to be the final scores or whatever. So came up with a couple questions, thought they'd be interesting for discussion purposes. First one is which championship match. So me versus Scott, which outcome, which outcome is, do you think would make for the best story?
1: So I had kind of two different answers here, and they're both respectively. One is yours, one is is towards his team. Um, I know that you normally don't really like to talk about yourself too much, so I'm actually going to go with your storyline and kind of go with kind of your your, your angle of it, Um, just because I figured you you might cover something else. But I think in terms of you, uh, you started off the season not very great. Uh, It was a really bad start to the season for you. Uh, It didn't even look like you were going to make playoffs. You were kind of teetering on the edge. Uh, uh, there and, and you kind of turned it around pretty drastically. I mean, you, know, you went ghost for about a month and a half and your team absolutely just turned it around and destroyed and kind of got to the point to where you're at right now. Uh, I think in, in terms of the storyline from you coming back from maybe not even being in the playoffs to being in the championship and being the number two seed, um, I think that's a great story for really any of the owners that ever come into this league or that are currently listening to the podcast uh, that's like not really give up. Like, you know, your team is kind of sitting in that in that fringe early on and you really don't know if you should sell your team quick and panic or kind of dial it back a little bit and kind of come to a realization, OK, I need to make some extra money moves around uh, and kind of make the most of the value that I have to try to get into the playoffs. And I think that's exactly what you did coming into kind of that that swing that we saw. And I, I want to say it was around like week six or seven is really when kind of that swing took place and we kind of started shifting. Towards kind of your team now, um, so yeah, I, I think you know if, if you come out of here and win this championship, it just kind of shows that even if you start off a little bit slow, you make the right moves and you get all the right decisions, and, and obviously you manage your team to your best ability that you can make the championship. So,
0: yeah, I'll uh, I guess elaborate on that a little bit. I'm going to talk about why it would be the best story for Scott to win, but touching on uh, your point, Eddie, of me winning. I think we're almost getting to the point where there's not like a Michael Jordan in our league who has been to multiple championships and is undefeated in the championship. But I'm starting to feel like, uh, and I don't, I don't mean this like in an arrogant way, but I'm starting to feel like LeBron, where like, yeah, I go to the championship every year, but I have a losing record in the championship. I'm currently one and two, so I feel like even if, say, after this season, I don't make it to the championship for three years in a row. I would be content with like the last of my consecutive championship appearances being a title win and thereby making my, you know, my championship record 500, at least two and two. Mm. I feel like that would be a feel good moment for me and kind of like, uh, yeah, Nate won the very first year of the league. But if I end up losing this championship, then he went in law, like even though he made it a bunch of times, he lost three in a row and wasn't able to get back over the hump ever again. So it would be a feel good story for me. Um, I'm going to talk about why it would be best for Scott. And I think that's because he kind of entered the league last year as the Cinderella story. The, the guy that took home the number one seed over the regular season. And we thought his team was going to be awesome in the playoffs. And then he ended up losing his very first playoff matchup. Cause obviously he had the first round by last year lost in the semifinals to Damon. So he was not able to pick up his first playoff win, um, until this year actually, cause he ended up losing to Nick. very next week so this past week against kevin where he just absolutely slaughtered him was actually scott's first playoff win in this league and i think it would be a great story because obviously scott came out of the gate swinging last year as a new manager in this league but even you know for as well as he did in the regular season you know like i just mentioned he really fizzled out in the playoffs he didn't pick up a single playoff win so to come back the very next season and repeat as the regular season champion and this year Obviously, it picked up at least one playoff win, beating Kevin, getting to the championship. I think it'd be a really strong statement for Scott, who I think a lot of us think is a strong fantasy manager. But uh, I think this would be a really a really big kind of prove-it year for Scott. If he wins the championship, Like, I don't think there's any question that he is one of the very best in our league. And I think after taking home the regular season title you know, two years in a row, stamping it with a title win... Uh, would not leave any doubt in the minds of any manager. You know the other eleven in the league. I know all. Of, you know a few of us who are super into it already respect Scott a lot. But I think the league at large would look at Scott and be like, "Yeah, that that dude's kind of a badass when it comes to fantasy football." If he, if he ends up going, you know, back to back as regular season champion, which he already did, but then like I said, putting the stamp on it as the league champion this year. So I think that'd be a great story for him. Uh, the next question. This is a little bit, I guess, selfish of me, but I feel like if it were, I try to think of it this way: if it was somebody else, you know, me as the podcast host, if it was somebody else who made the championship four years in a row, that would definitely be a talking point that I would bring up on a championship episode. So that is why I included this next question, which is: Do you think four consecutive finals appearances constitute a dynasty? You know, you hear about sports dynasties a lot, or does it own the does that kind of dynasty term, does that only come with championships in your opinion, Eddie?
1: I think for me, uh, kind of one of the biggest points that I, I look at it towards in, in terms of even real sports is winning championships. Uh, the Patriots were a dynasty because they won so many championships. Now, if they made the championship every year and lost, it's not really a dynasty. It's just a really good team that just couldn't pull it off in the end type thing.
0: Like the 90s um, Bills, who went four ex- times yeah, in exactly. exactly. one. Like, you
1: don't really consider that a dynasty. When you look right. back at that team, it's just like, all right, they were really good. They just couldn't get over that hump. Um, and that's kind of the way that I look at it right now with you. Obviously, you're sitting at one and two. Uh, the story could be very different. You could be talking about a dynasty here, but I just don't think just not yet. I think you need to get a, a few more under your belt in terms of winning the championships. It'd kind of mm-hmm. be sitting above that 500 level. Mm-hmm. To really look at it and say, okay, you know, he, he's a dynasty guy. Um, I think Scott has a good chance if he continues on the pace that he's going at right now to really cement himself in that conversation. Obviously, it's a little early. We need to wait a few years to see kind of how he progresses. But he's kind of taking those right steps to, to walk that path. Um, we'll see this year. If he loses it this year then you tie with him, then you're both kind of in a similar boat in terms of how successful you've been while you were in the league. So I'd say very successful, just not a dynasty yet.
0: Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you. I think for me, the point at which the conversation begins, not saying it's definitive that you know somebody is a dynasty, but at least the conversation begins and there's an argument to be made is when you get multiple championships Within a five to ten year span and your record is five hundred or above in championship games. Because what that means is at a bare minimum, the kind of requirement for even beginning the conversation for whether somebody's a dynasty is that they have been to four championships and won at least two of those four. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh if you're saying multiple championships and you have to have a five hundred or better record, I guess it could be two and one, right? But you're saying that you've been to more than two championships and you've won at least two of them. I think you can at least start to make the argument. But I would agree with you that currently, as things stand, just simply getting to the finals is not enough to say, you know, somebody is a fantasy football dynasty, right?
1: Yeah, I think. think, uh...
0: Sorry, I was just going to say, if I win this year, I think that the conversation at least opens up. But if I lose this year, no, I, I think you wipe it. I would have to win a couple more again to get back to that 500 record. I would have to guess win two, the very next two that I would ever get to and then be 3 mm-hmm. and 3 to be considered like even a conversation starter for a dynasty. Exactly. So I feel like a lot rides on this week's matchup.
1: Yes it does. Your your kind of your legacy is bented with what happens this week. You're either going to be Michael Jordan in a couple of years or you're LeBron. Or LeBron James. James. I think they're both <laughs> I think they're both great. They're both obviously one of the, some of the greatest players of all time, but it's just but Mike like just had
0: more of that dog. Mike was a
1: winner. Mike was yeah. a winner. LeBron he wins, but just not all the time. LeBron is so,
0: LeBron is probably uh, this might sound funny. This these are obviously very subjective terms, very subjective yeah. conversation. I'd say LeBron is more successful, but Michael is more of a winner.
1: Yes,
0: because LeBron was able to sustain his success for longer than anybody has. Yeah, that's kind of in the spot. I feel like that I'm in right now, but I got to start capitalizing and winning become become like Mike.
1: <laughs> exactly. And uh, I was going to say it's a cool and I think I mentioned this in, in, in the chat that I sent the message. in. so in one of my other leagues, they do a dynasty format. And this kind of just had me thinking about it. And it's kind of an idea that I wanted to bring to your attention. And I figured right now, you might as well say it in the podcast, pretty cool idea that they do is like, you know, we have our winner every year and. They have a dynasty pot. So let's say everyone pays $50 to get in $20 of that per person goes to the payout at the end of the year. So it's like 240 bucks. Uh, the winner of the league gets like one eighty or 200. The loser gets 60 or whatever. You know what I'm saying? For second place, no payouts for third place. And then the rest of that pot, $30 per person goes to a dynasty pot gets stored away every year. First owner to get to three championships Obviously, it'd be a little different now because you're a little bit closer. It's a little started. It's already started off a little bit later. Well, if Scott wins, I'll be on
0: the same foot as four other people exactly. three other people.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So that dynasty pot goes. Whoever gets the three championships first wins the majority of that pot. So let's say if it's $350 every year that gets put aside, at the end of that third year, let's say if it only takes three years for someone to hit that mark, they win about $900 and some dollars. It's a little over a grand. Now, if it takes 10 years and then one of you hits that pot, that's... Over 3000 about $3,500 that that individual wins plus that pot. I think it's a really cool idea. I think it's a, one of the only leagues that I've ever seen that in, but I just kind of want to bring it up to everyone's attention because I think it's pretty cool.
0: So, yeah, it's definitely a cool idea. I don't think anybody would be on board with it if we were retroactively counting championships, like especially yeah. if I won this week where I would only need one more to get the it, pot exactly, or whatever. Exactly. But definitely something that. You know, we could just start a conversation about this offseason, ask people if they'd be interested in, even if it was, say, an extra five bucks a year that we threw in. You know, if yeah, we're starting exactly. everybody at zero and saying the requirement to start taking home that pot is three, like you said, it could be 10 years. It's five times 12, $60 yeah. a year. That's $600 after 10 years if it takes the first person to get to three from there. Mm-hmm. That they went extra because they were the, you know, the quote-unquote first person yeah. to, to reach a dynasty. It's an interesting yeah. idea for sure. Yeah um last question looking at week 17 i know we haven't talked about kevin i feel bad but obviously this is a championship edition episode so we're going to focus more on specifically the two of us in the championship but this third one actually includes nick as well so going back uh not just this year but last year as well the top three seeds after the regular season entering the playoffs have been some combination Well, i guess scott has been number one seed both years and some combination of Scott, me and Nick representing the top three for the past two years. Yeah. Do you think that the odds favor for next year, the top three seeds being me, Scott and Nick, some combination, or do you think that there's going to be a change?
1: I think there'll be a somewhat of a change. I think two of those three, I think will will stay up there. Uh, I think Kevin has a really good chance if he continues to go the way that he did this year. And, uh, and continues to kind of make that push, I think there's a chance that he could be the one that kind of pops him into that spot uh, within the top three seeds. Um, Kevin, while his regular season wasn't exactly the same as Scott, his postseason, very similar to Scott's last year Um, in terms of, you know, being a new guy coming into the league, uh, getting into, you know, winning his first matchup and he loses a second matchup, obviously versus the number one seed. Um, but kind of making it into the playoffs and making it a conversation that, hey, they're here and they mean business. Um, So really Kevin's one of those guys that I can see kind of messing that up a little bit. We have a couple other guys in the league that I think have started to make some turns. Uh, We've got a few other people that have just gotten unfortunate breaks like Jake. Um, JC was in that conversation for a while and then obviously kind of fizzled out there at the end. But um, like I said, I expect two out of the three of you guys to go up there. I'm not putting any names onto it yet just because – I really don't know what they're going to look like next year. You know, I, I would love to say you and Scott sitting at the top just because that's kind of how it's been. But obviously Nick last year, very impressive, pulled into that number two seeded so really well. So, yeah, I, I can't put any names in particular of what I think it's going to look like in terms of the two individuals that make it into the top three. Um, but some combination of two people from there, I think will be into it.
0: Actually, I'm going to... Disagree and go on the other side because I would have said if we were not, we didn't start doing the league median this year. I would have said football is left too much to chance to bet on the same three guys to carry over from year to year, you know, being at the top. Mm -hmm. Now that we have added a second matchup and kind of reduced the luck factor, I think one, I'll get Scott out of the way and say I have to give him the respect to say that he is going to be a regular top three team because he's been the number one team over the regular season two years in a row. So I got to give him his respect. And I say I'm grouping Nick and I together here because we have a similar kind of management style where we trade a lot. you, If you go on the standings and look at total acquisitions, we're number one and two in, in terms of total I think it's called acquisitions, transactions, I think is the word I'm looking for. Total transactions made. So we go kind of death by volume in terms of transactions. And obviously, we've both shared the end goal is improving your team always. So I think given that we introduced the league median, so now there's a kind of wider opportunity for managers who can find competitive advantages to not exploit them but take advantage of them and move their team up the standings in case in point nick was i think eight and twelve or four and eight at some point this year and ended up as our number three seed so you can kind of see what i'm saying here where even if you start the year off very poorly like nick i think he was like the number nine or number ten in the standings at a certain point reached all the way the third seed by the end of the season because uh, we weren't doing head-to-head matchups only. We are doing that league median. So if you can kind of improve your team and improve it quickly, you can start taking at least one win every single week by being a better team than the league average or the league median uh, technically. So I think that being said, uh, Scott, got to give him his respect. I think he'll be a top three team. And I think just by way of management philosophy, uh, since Nick and I use a lot of volume to try to improve our team, and we try to do it relatively early on in the season, I'll say for now, yes, I do think that him and I would round out the top three next year. I'd love to be proved wrong, because I certainly don't mind a shakeup. I don't mind playing in round one. I did it last year, Um yeah, if I, was, if I was betting and you, you said pick any three names to be the top three seeds next year, for me, I, I definitely would have to put my money on Scott, me, and Nick. So, Yeah, I respect it. Main segment for this week, we have a treat for you guys. Uh, making his podcast debut, and he won't be on with us live, but he did uh, agree to do a little recorded interview. Scott is going to be joining us here on the episode. And the segment is just called finalist interviews it's going to be some questions for me and scott to answer as you know your two representatives of the league in the championship we're actually going to start with scott and then once he's done eddie's going to kind of take it away as the host but we came up with a list of five questions to ask scott and me to answer or to share about and uh yeah here they are take us away scott
2: hi guys this is scott humes i am the owner of the thundercats I have been playing fantasy now, this is my third season. I started in 2019 in my nephew, Mike's League. May he came to me with this idea of answering a few questions while introducing myself to the league um, without having to feel the pressure of being on a live podcast. So I apologize in advance for the poor audio. And if I am speeding through any of these questions, But Nate, he first asks, if I can only choose one, which single move would you say was the most instrumental to your success this season? Even though I didn't make a move for Mark Andrews until Week 10, I would have to go with him. Tight end absolutely killed me last season. I believe that is what knocked me out of the playoffs. I know that I needed to make a move for something a little bit more stable than Hawkinson, something from top to bottom, a more well-balanced roster if I wanted to go deep into the playoffs this year. So even though he hasn't really helped me out so far, um, I would have to go with Andrews. Um, Number two, did I change my strategy at all from last year to this year? Simple answer is no. No. Last year I went wide receiver heavy, and this year I went wide receiver heavy. Now I pay a little bit more closer attention to my running backs this year than I did last, and I made less moves this year than I did last. Um, But yeah, uh, same strategy. I'm probably always going to go wide receiver heavy. Number three, who was your favorite player from an organization other than your favorite team to watch this season? I would have to go with um, Austin Eckler. I just love what he brings to the playing field and what he brings to fantasy as a whole. Um, I believe Damon owns Eckler, and I put a proposal in every week where it either got declined or I canceled it, figured he was never going to trade for him. But... Yeah, that still, that never stopped me. I tried since week one to get my hands on Eckler. Um, so number four, what do you credit your success this season to most? So I'm going to go a different direction with this, answering this, the way it was, I believe, intended. But I would have to say watching and emulating what my nephew Mike, Nate, and Nick. Now I've been in other leagues with Nate and Nick. Uh, such as basketball and baseball. My draft strategy is a little bit different than theirs. But the moves that they make, when they make, and how they make, I try to emulate sitting on the sidelines and, and just watching what they do. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody else in, in the league. Um, but yeah, I, just, I follow what they've done because I was new to this. And, yeah, I would have to credit all three of them. Really, to everybody. How other people make moves, what not to do, what to do. Um, but, yeah. So, question number five is, what is one thing you learned about fantasy football this year? Now, I've been pondering over this question, and I honestly don't know how to answer it, except that you cannot control the uncontrollable. That's all I can really say. I don't have an answer for that. Um like I said, I, I watched them three, what they have done and what they do. But, yeah, that, that, I think that's it. Um, so, sorry I can't really answer that question, but it was nice talking to you guys. Uh, probably never come on this thing again, to be honest with you. And coming this week, um, yeah, Nate, let, let the best player win. Thank you. Talk to you guys later. Bye.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Scott. We really appreciate it. And congratulations again for making a championship uh, well-deserved and good luck this upcoming week. So with Scott kind of getting some of his questions out uh, answering some of those questions and, and moving forward, it's time to go to the other guy here and let's go to Nate. Uh, so with the very first question, uh, if you could only choose one, which single move would you say was the most instrumental to your success this season?
0: Yeah, Eddie, it's it's got to be. I would be lying if I said anything other than drafting Cooper Cup in the fifth round. Yeah. Uh, there, there could not be any other qu- answer to this question for me. I went back the last three years to see how Cooper Cup season stacks up with the best of the best. And not only is he going to surpass this coming week all wide receivers over the past three years in terms of total points scored over the first 17 weeks of the season which is kind of the only fair comparison since there's now an extra game, an extra week. Uh, but Cooper cup, he will have outscored all quarterbacks over the past three years too. In fact, the only player who will have scored more than Cooper cup in a 17 week season over the past three years is 2019 Christian McCaffrey, who averaged an absurd 29.5 points per game on his way to a 471.2 point season. Uh, and to put that into context, Cooper Cup currently has three hundred ninety-one point four points, so roughly eighty less than CMC's twenty nineteen season, and he is on pace to be the second highest scorer of the last three years in a seventeen week season, like I mentioned before. So, Prime CMC, he was a literal cheat code, which is, you know, I suppose why some are still bullish on him after his injury riddled last two seasons.
1: Oh. I agree. All right. Moving on to the next question. Uh, Did you change your strategy at all from last year to this year?
0: Not really, not materially, which is an audit term that I use every day at work. But what that means is there was not really a strategy overhaul for me. So I would say the only nuance is that I definitely valued elite quarterbacks more this year than I have in previous years. So after seeing Damon win on the back of, you know, the number one quarterback in the league last year, Josh Allen, I decided this year that I was going to prioritize elite quarterback play in both the draft and in the trade market. Um, and I did that by spending my very first draft pick on Dak Prescott, who has kind of been good, not great. I mentioned earlier he was a top 10 quarterback or has been a top 10 quarterback this year, uh, but he hasn't been a bust nonetheless. And then on the flip side, while my upside target in Trevor Lawrence did not work out for my QB two. That did not stop me from pursuing a great QB 2 as I ultimately cut bait with Trevor Lawrence added Sam Darnold who was looking really good early in the season ended up trading him for an injured Russell Wilson who I later traded for Aaron Rodgers who is definitely elite so did not really change the strategy overall but definitely kind of tweaked the way that I value different positions quarterback definitely getting a boost here in 2021.
1: Yeah, and that's something that I kind of was thinking about kind of when I was reading that question uh, before. It's just kind of in terms of strategies uh, for different owners, you know, I, I think some people, once they start struggling a little bit. Um, and obviously this was just a, as a season as a, in general, uh, but just kind of while you're going through the season, some owners kind of tend to let go of their early season strategies and try to go to something different, uh, especially with the situation that you were in. Um But again, uh, like you mentioned, obviously you're not going to give too much away uh, in terms of your strategies and kind of how you go about it. But I think it's it's a pretty obvious to state now looking at how our championships have panned out over the past couple of years and looking at some of those elite quarterbacks that getting an elite quarterback or at least getting a sustainable quarterback that can be a top 11 or 12 quarterback uh, in the league, I think is pretty instrumental to success in this league. So
0: you just, you just can't rely on middling quarterbacks like, They might be able to get you through the regular season okay as a playoff team. But once you start to get into one week playoff matchups, you do not want somebody outside of the. You literally want two QB1s. You want two top Mm -hmm. 12 quarterbacks because otherwise you just, it's a huge dice roll and quarterbacks are a large source of points for your team on a weekly basis. So that's why I made it a priority this year to get two QB1s heading into the playoffs. Yeah.
1: Smart. Very smart. All right, moving on to the third question. Who is your favorite player from our organization other than your favorite team to watch this season?
0: Yeah, for me, it's Jonathan Taylor. I think the expected answer for me here was probably Cooper Cup. But for his historic of a season as he is having, I've been drawn to Jonathan Taylor the most of all players on my roster since the day I drafted him. I was kind of calling... For the breakout for Jonathan Taylor across multiple leagues this year, I know my brother was challenging me on that a little bit because he had a great rookie season, and Nick was kind of asking, well, what would a breakout even be for him? He was already a running back one last year. And I said uh, confidently back then, top six campaign for Jonathan Taylor would definitely be considered a breakout. And obviously, he has blown those expectations away. Mm -hmm. I took a leap of faith by spending an early second round uh, draft pick on him coming off of his rookie season in our league this year. And he has not only rewarded me handsomely, but if you watch the Colts play, you can tell that that offense runs through Jonathan Taylor, similarly to how Tennessee's offense runs through Derrick Henry when he is healthy. Um, for what it's worth, I think Jonathan Taylor has more staying power than Cooper Cup, given his youth and his workload. Um, in other words, like if they kind of reduced Naeem Hines' role in that offense, And if you just kind of look at the career touches that Jonathan Taylor has had going back to college, he has a lot left in his tank, in my opinion. So I think Jonathan Taylor is far more likely to repeat his monster year than Cooper Cup. Just my personal opinion.
1: I I mean, I agree. Uh, You got to look at usually a wide receiver. I don't think it normally doesn't carry over from season to season. A wide receiver can have an insane season one year and it just kind of doesn't look so good the next year. I think with running backs, it's a little bit more of a sustainable production because normally if they're getting anywhere from 15 to 20 touches, they're most likely going to get that again the next year. I think it's a little easier to handle ball off and to throw it to a wide receiver when there's plenty other options on the field. So I do agree with that.
0: I definitely agree. The only exception, I think, since we have started playing fantasy has been uh, prime Pittsburgh Steelers Antonio Brown. I believe he did repeat as the wide receiver (laughs) one two years in a row but I don't think since we have started playing, like I started playing back in high school, I assume you and, you know, others in the league probably started playing at the same time. I don't believe that there has been a repeat wide receiver one other, yeah. otherwise.
1: Yep. All right. Moving on to the next question. Uh, what do you credit your success this season to most?
0: Yeah, this one I'll have to explain, but it was playing a week ahead. So I've kind of always been one of the trade happy guys in the league, but others uh, to their credit have slowly developed their trading craft to kind of match the competitive advantage that I felt that I, I had in previous seasons in terms of, you know, being pretty good at trading. But this year to, to try to put that distance back between me and others who have become really good at trading, I kind of unlocked what I call as like a third dimension to trades that I sought out, which were, so I guess a couple of things, bi-week replacements, uh, quote unquote, buy and sell back agreements, which I think I touched on earlier this season, Daniel Jones for Cowboys defense between me and Damon, we kind of swapped and then swapped back for bi-weeks. And then what I called earlier this season, transaction trees, which I define as kind of a premeditated mapping of purpose behind potential transactions that you make. So my process pretty much consisted of asking myself, you know, does this ad or trade help my lineup? And if not, does it help position me to make another move or series of moves that will help my lineup? So that kind of strategy or mindset of, you know, not playing one transaction at a time, but trying to kind of map what your transactions could turn into playing a week ahead, as I call it. That's what I credit my success to most this season in particular.
1: Yeah, I think the the buy and sell back strategy is probably the, one of the more entertaining strategies. If you really break it down and kind of look at it throughout an entire season, it can make a huge difference uh, on your lineup if you time it up really well and you and you really kind of look at the other owners in the league. And usually, the production you're going to get from a buy and sell back compared to a waiver wire is usually a little bit better if you get it at the right time. So, it's definitely a, a great way to look at it.
0: And I know there's a lot of Marvel fans in the league. I don't know if you guys have heard of the new show on Disney+, Plus. What If? like, What if this hero wasn't actually this hero? What if they were a different hero? What if Damon and I didn't do that buy and sell back where I didn't need Daniel Jones for a week because I would have had to drop him having already rostered two quarterbacks, but I did need a defense that week? What if we never executed that trade and I had to stream a defense and I got the stream call wrong, which ended up losing me the week and putting me not at the same record as Nick anymore. Instead, I was 7 or sorry, 16 and 12 instead of 17 and 11, and then Nick gets the 2 seed. I have to play in round 1. What if I end up losing in round 1 of the playoffs and mm-hmm. I don't actually get to the championship? So it's just like those kind of questions. Um it seemed like something small at the time like, "Hey, I'll give you my quarterback. I don't need this week. I'll take your defense. You don't need this week, and then we'll swap back next week." Seems really small, seems a little uh savvy, right? But if that doesn't ever happen and I get a streaming call wrong, that could totally change the season. So it's just fun to think about those things. But it's also a good good part of a process to go back and look at some of the things that worked, as well as things that didn't, of course. But see how it would have potentially and how it did impact your season.
1: Yeah, I agree. And then the final question that we have here is, what is the one thing you learned about fantasy football this year?
0: Yeah, this, is, uh, this one doesn't necessarily have to do with fantasy football itself, but I learned that when things that you enjoy start to become unenjoyable, you should take a step back. So early this season, I was in full swing trying to finish my CPA exams, which I'd been studying for for over a year by that point. And fantasy was a nice escape for me throughout that process. Fantasy football, fantasy baseball, again, another season of football. But I started becoming pretty irritable, like even at the thought of this hobby That we share and we all love when prepping for this podcast in particular on top of studying because it kind of started to become so big of a time commit that it felt like more of a chore than a privilege to be able to talk about something that we really like and very quickly that obviously you guys i'm sure you remember that led to me kind of erupting at the site of two very uneven trades at the time i won't say they're uneven now because they obviously didn't uh age how we thought they would but uneven at the time trades to open our league year that i kind of uh i guess for me exploded obviously i was a bit dramatic about my exit which ultimately was you know only proved to be a hiatus um since i ended up coming back i'm glad that it happened in retrospect because i was able to finish my exams and kind of really catch a fire for fantasy again on my own as a player you you mentioned like I just kind of went ghost for a month and my team kind of climbed out of the ashes. So I was really able to kind of catch that love for fantasy again, as a player, not, not as the league commissioner. Um, but ultimately again, I'm happy to be back of course, and happy to finish out the year strong uh, with the podcast. So that's what I learned this year. Yeah. But I guess I'll take it back over Eddie. Uh, we're going to do the same segment that we did last week. News or noise. Um, We're going to keep it to the same four teams again. So my team and Scott's for the championship, but then also Nick and Kevin's team for the consolation finals. Again, going to name a few headlines coming out of week 16 relevant to those of us four teams that are still alive. You let me know if you think it's news that are actually going to have an impact on the final round, or if it's just noise, won't have much of an impact at all. First one uh, relating to Scott's team. While DeAndre Swift was a full participant at practice on Wednesday and Dan Campbell mentioned that he is expected to play this Sunday, uh, Jamal Williams and Craig Reynolds both remain on the active roster after a few productive weeks out of the backfield. Now, obviously, the way I set up this headline, uh, Williams and Reynolds being on the active roster, potentially having an impact on the game. Is that news or noise to you, Eddie?
1: I I think it's just noise. While they're probably going to have some type of impact on that roster, uh, I mean they're eliminated from playoffs. So, so the one thing that I really want to say is like I don't I don't see DeAndre Swift getting a full l- workload, but I also don't see Jamal Williams really making too big of an impact. Um, I don't know. I guess this can kind of go both ways depending on where you want to really look at it. But I still think it's it's kind of noise. Uh, I don't. I really don't expect too much of production um, to come out of either of them. So
0: that's fair. I like the nuance there um yeah. jamal williams like you said maybe won't have a big impact but that not that might not be you know get deandre swift out of muddy water maybe they don't give him a full workload since they have nothing to play for yeah it's a good point the second headline which you'll see how this relates to my team in a second here mm-hmm. colts quarterback carson wentz was placed on the covid reserve list on tuesday putting him in danger of missing this week's game against las vegas and if he does miss this game, rookie quarterback Sam Ellinger will get the start. Now, obviously, I don't roster Carson Wentz, but I do roster Jonathan Taylor who, you know, if Carson Wentz doesn't play, defenses might just decide to stack the box every play. Is the impact potential impact to Jonathan Taylor news or noise?
1: Uh, it, it'll be news in terms of... I don't know if it's going to be much of an impact. I still think he's going to run the ball an insane amount and still score. I think it's, I think it's more so noise to think that his production will lessen. Uh, I think obviously he's going to run the ball. They're a playoff team. They're good. They need to win. They're going to give the ball to their best player. Uh, while Sam Ellinger isn't great, Carson Wentz is also not that great. So I think in terms of what defenses are going to do, it might be pretty similar. Um, to kind of how they play the pass. Uh, I think most teams are still putting people in the box against the Colts, regardless of who's at quarterback. So I just don't really see too much of a change coming his way.
0: Got it. Third team, uh, which will be Nick's team, the headline is that the NFL and the NFL Players Association came to an agreement this week to reduce the mandatory quarantine period for unvaccinated players from 10 days to 5 days, which will which allowed the Buffalo Bills to activate Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis from the COVID reserve list. Now, Nick was able to grab Gabe Davis back off the waiver wire before anyone else could grab him. And if you remember, the last game that Gabriel Davis played, of course, Emmanuel Sanders was out that week. He scored nearly 26 points. So question is, is Gabriel Davis, uh, him now being part of the active roster again, is that news or noise for Knicks' team?
1: I, I want to say it's more so noise. They got a few other weapons back, so I just can't see Gabriel Davis putting up the same production again uh, that he did that one week when he put 26 points up. Um So it's really just more so noise for me. Uh, I don't really see too big of a change, even if he does play.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you there, just because you got Emmanuel Sanders back, you got Cole Beasley back, Isaiah McKenzie Hmm. had an amazing game last week, so it seems like it would be hard to say, besides Stefan Diggs, that any one target in Buffalo is poised for a monster game this week with everyone back. The last headline relating to Kevin's team is 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is likely to miss this week's game against the Texans with a broken bone and a ligament tear in the thumb of his throwing hand. Given the news, Trey Lance is likely to make the start, and obviously if he does, Kevin will plan to play him. Is this news or noise?
1: I want to say it's news, uh, just because while Jimmy G obviously isn't the kind of like the cream of the crop um, you really kind of have to look at in terms of like Debo Samuel and his production, because that's really who it's going to impact for the most part on his team. Um, I just, I just think it's, it's not, or Kevin, apologies. I think it's it. either way. I think Trey Lance is probably going to do the same, uh, if not, maybe a little bit better than Jimmy G. Um, if you look at kind of Jimmy G stats over the past few weeks, um and kind of look at how he's done it it hasn't been anything that's out of the ordinary or kind of anything amazing i think it's kind of been average uh trey lance when he did get his start uh the one start that he did well he got two starts back to back back in week four and week five i believe he had 20 points and then about 15 points so i think that's jimmy g territory for the most part so i think he's going to get an equal amount of production so
0: yeah, those are fair thoughts. I think this is yeah. news for Kevin. I, I personally like Trey Lance. Um, Nick and I are actually starting Trey Lance in our Dynasty League Championship, so hoping for the mm-hmm. best there. But I, I do like Trey Lance's fantasy prospects more than Jimmy G. Obviously, that's easy to say long-term, but even this week, like I think I would be more excited starting Trey Lance than potentially having to start Jimmy oh, G.
1: Yeah. And I agree with that. I think the thought of Trey Lance playing is a little more exciting. Ricky quarterback has a really mm-hmm. high upside. I think his ceiling, obviously much higher. I think just because of his running ability, he can kind of move around the pocket a little bit more. Uh, so I think that's a little bit more exciting. So I do agree with him.
0: And he's not on a broken roster like Trevor Lawrence or yeah, Zach Wilson. Exactly. Like he and has George around. Kittle. He's got Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. So yeah. you would like to think that he is poised for a successful uh, end of the regular season, stepping in for yeah. Jimmy G here.
1: And I mean, in terms of my own, parishioner and me wanting him to do very well there's another league where i'm currently trying to figure out a way to get trey lance without giving up too much um so trade, I, I form that, does... trade
0: for him before this weekend
1: <laughs> i know because if he snaps uh, as the
0: price goes up
1: yeah and, and i'm trying to kind of find a way to get him in there so hopefully if i can snatch him up since it's a dynasty league they allow trading into the playoffs anyways mm-hmm. um the only like caveat to that is like if you're a championship team like they don't allow you to trade Sure. The team was locked for the playoffs, so we'll see. Hopefully, we can come to an agreement, and I can just kind of pull Trey Lance away from this guy, and uh, hopefully, has a really good game. So, but yeah,
0: yeah, I'll toss it back to you for around the league.
1: Yeah. So for our around the league segment, uh, we have our fantasy over unders this week. Uh, the first one's a little bit of, a, of a, a, little bit of a twist on our fantasy over under. I actually did the entire quarterback units for both Scott's and Nate's team. Um, so kind of reading them off from top to bottom here. We have Justin Herbert versus Denver uh, and Kyler Murray versus Dallas. And then for Nate, we have Dak Prescott versus Arizona and Aaron Rodgers versus Minnesota. Uh, I have an over-under of 100 points total by these four quarterbacks for this upcoming week. Uh, What do you got?
0: I got the over by a mile. I think these guys, as a group, are going to blow past 100. I don't have really much more to say about Mm -hmm. it. I think these guys are studs.
1: I agree. And even if one of them were to lack behind, uh, I'm, I'm hitting the over here as well. But even if one of them were to lack behind a little bit, I think one of them ha- easily, any one of them can kind of make up that difference for the other, depending on kind of how the production goes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to take the over on this one as well. All right. Number two. So these next two, uh, I picked someone from both of the lineups that I think are really big difference makers. Um, and I think that are going to have a really big week this upcoming week. So number one, I have Jonathan Taylor uh, from Nate's team versus the Las Vegas Raiders with an over under of 27. Uh, I think I'm going to absolutely smash you over on this one this week. I do expect Jonathan Taylor to get an increased workload with uh, Ellinger playing. Uh, so I just really expect him to to kind of run it up. So what do you have?
0: I love the confidence Eddie. Um, and I know that the Jonathan Taylor is playing the 30th ranked run defense but 27 is very bold. He's only put up over 27 four times this season for as amazing of a year as he's had. I would be happy with it and not shocked. But I think, in, in terms of like if we're making bets, which I think that's, you know, what the essence of the mm-hmm. fantasy over under segment is, I think I would have to bet on under 27. So I picked the under this week. I think he'll get over 20. Uh, com- at least I would hope comfortably. But 27, that's like a, a championship winning week. So
1: I hope for that.
0: I don't expect that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. And then next Debo, I feel like I might've put this line a little bit low just because of his increased production and kind of how they've been using him a little bit in this offense. Uh, but it, I think it's a comfortable enough of a line. So I have Debo versus Houston uh, with an over under of 20 fantasy points. Uh, if you've been keeping up with Debo Samuel's stock as of recently, you obviously know that he has literally been everywhere on that offense and you can literally do whatever they want him to do there. Um, so I'm going to take the over on here. I expect them to use him to his fullest potential. I think with Trey Lance on the field, it actually helps him out a little bit more, uh, in terms of being able to run some RPO stuff from the backfield and kind of getting some of those, some of those extra increased targets. Um, so I'm going with the over here. What do you got?
0: I'm also going with the over, uh, very comfortably. Debo Samuel has 38 carries over his last six games. So nearly seven carries per game he's also scored in that span seven touchdowns so scoring over a touchdown per game and he's not even a wide, like he's not even a running back he's a wide receiver
1: yeah
0: and he's scored yeah. let's see six of those seven touchdowns over his last six games have been rushing touchdowns and he's a wide receiver <laughs> like that's Absolutely ridiculous it's insane that's it, ridiculous it's kind of like
1: that Cordero, Cordero, Patterson. Cordero
0: Patterson yeah yeah kind of but,
1: but it's situation. like almost like
0: they're flipped like Cordero Patterson yeah. is a primary running back who is Receiver. Very good as a receiver yeah Debo Samuel is a primary receiver or at least he was to start to start <laughs> yeah, here yeah. he's been really great as a running back lately so yeah. I'm yeah I'm definitely hitting the over for Debo Samuel against Houston Texans which are
1: yeah.
0: I guess they're a little bit better than I thought 16th against the pass but again Debo Samuel has been running a lot lately and I do not think that they're <laughs> very good against the run so
1: yeah I will say this Debo Samuel picks up that extra eligibility next year. That's a it's an yeah, interesting be, an interesting guy to pick next year. No matter I would I take.
0: would love that because I I'm gonna be keeping him in our I, yeah league and in my play. dynasty
1: I have him in my dynasty league. So if he gets that eligibility, I will be ecstatic. So yeah, it'll be great. So for anybody looking into next year, I think most people are hopeful that Debo kind of gets that uh, that secondary eligibility. So
0: yeah, okay. All right. Well, let's round out this final you know, normal, I guess, edition of the podcast, since we're not going to have any matchups to look ahead to next week. This final normal edition of the podcast with our final matchup predictions. So looking ahead at week 17, we got Scott versus me in the championship. We got Nick versus Kevin in the third and fourth place game. Let's start with Nick and Kevin, the third and fourth place matchup. Eddie, who are you calling to take home the bronze this year?
1: I I'm going to go with Kevin. I think Nick's team is just way too hurt right now um obviously he's got some COVID issues he's got a few guys in there that i'm just not 100 percent confident with i think both sides kind of have these issues but i think nick's more so than than kevin's and i probably expect half of nick's lineup tomorrow to go out due to COVID issues <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's kind of where i'm at with that one
0: i'm gonna go on the other side and say nick um because i think Kevin has a more complete lineup at this point, obviously with Nick dealing with so many different issues from COVID, from injuries. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I think Nick has more heavy hitters in his lineup, uh, meaning like fantasy studs. And it just so happens that some of those fantasy studs, specifically the Bills, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, have very soft matchups. They're playing the Atlanta Falcons, who are bottom three in the league against the pass. So I think if nothing else, that Nick studs are going to carry him to a back-to-back bronze finish uh, in this year's uh, BPW League. Yeah, that brings us to the championship matchup itself. Eddie, I'm going to let you kick us off, because this is obviously I'm partaking. Who do you have as the league champion between me and Scott?
1: I'm actually going to go with you. I think there's a, there's a very specific piece in Scott's lineup that scares me a little bit, and I just don't know if it's enough to get over that hump. Um, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to give up any Ooh. type of information. I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to give Scott the thought. He's probably thinking about it already, but I'd rather just kind of let things play out naturally and kind of sure. go at it. But the, you can tell me this... after
0: we stop recording.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, there's just a the piece in that lineup that I just don't feel extremely confident with, and obviously everybody on your side, You've got some really big hitters. I mean, obviously, Waddle, as of late, Everett last week. Uh, Nick Chubb has been turning it around a little bit. Jonathan Taylor and Rogers, Dak, I mean, I can read off your entire lineup. Um, I do have some guys on Scott's side that I think can make up that workload difference. Yeah, Scott has a lot of studs. Yeah, it it might just be a little bit too much, in my opinion. So, I'm going to go with you here.
0: Man, I wanted to – I was hoping you'd pick Scott so that we could even it out because I'm feeling like Kevin where like, of course I'm going to say myself. I was humble against Nick and I was pleasantly surprised. Like I did think Nick was going to win pleasantly surprised that I made it out, but I just feel like given that I made it out of the semifinals when I really didn't think I was going to win, I'm feeling like it's my fate to win this year. So I got to pick myself. I'd I'd be very happy for Scott if he won because Scott's a great manager And again, I've said it multiple times over the last two years on this podcast. It's good for the league when there's different champions. It's good for people to share in the excitement of winning the title. But of course, I also want to win the title too. So (laughs) I'm picking myself. I think I have the firepower to do it. I think it's going to be a toss-up matchup between me and Scott. Really, either one of us could win. Would not shock me at all. But uh, given that it's so close, I got to have some confidence picking my team
1: yeah and like you said i think it would be really exciting to see scott win it um you know the 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 fan side of me wants to see scott win it i think but just the logistical portion of myself kind of looking at it and breaking it down i just i think it it lies on your side
0: so let's hope that we're right even though i'm kind of just picking out of confidence more than anything else (laughs) let's hope that you're right picking from your gut uh That's all we have for this week's episode. Mm -hmm. We'll be back with one more next week, I think. We'll see, because I know Scott has been hesitant about coming on live just because he's a little nervous, but we did get him to do the interview portion for this week's podcast. Maybe if he ends up winning the league title, we'll be able to get him on as a live guest host next week, hopefully. We'll see what happens with that. But either way, we'll be back to you guys next week with one final edition of the 2021 Best player wins fantasy football podcast. Eddie, go ahead and take us out.
1: Well, thank you everyone again for making it to this week's edition of the fantasy football podcast, obviously the championship. Congratulations to Nate. Congratulations to Scott. Uh, I think you guys are very deserving of obviously being in the championship and, you know, obviously made the best team win. I think it'll be really fun. And again, Kevin and Nick, congratulations to the both of you. Uh, You know, obviously the winner of that matchup kind of get third place, collect that bronze, uh, so I think it'll be really exciting. I uh, think it'll be really fun and I'm looking forward to, to this weekend. So thank you everyone. And we'll catch you guys later. E- Here.